This is the Humans of Gaming Podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief. Dixon. I am the chief content nerd of Love Thy Nerd, and I'm joined as always with Chris Boltney. Hey, I'm Chris. I'm the chief executive nerd for Love Thy Nerd. Uh, Drew, you didn't say your title. I did. I said, Did you? Chief content nerd. I think I'll I did. be honest, I was spacing no, out. <laughs> yeah, see, I have, I have a backup here. Just done this so much. Uh, we should switch it up one time. Like, I don't know. We'll just change our titles. We are recording this on April Fool's Day, so that is true. I should have said something. Well, it wouldn't make sense for when this releases, though. That's true, but Although then that would be the week. true April Fools of it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we. Should, I feel like we should mix it up just to fool people. Like, do April Fools on the third or something? You know. I mean, that is kind of interesting. That like a day about pranking people is the same day every year. So yeah. you know to be looking out for pranks. April Fools, we changed April Fools Day. <laughs> right? It's a pretty good joke. I feel like yeah. it already it's already funny. All right. I didn't even do a prank yet. Uh well, not exactly. Next year. Uh so we're joined by Eddie Webb. Hey Eddie, how are you? Hey, how you doing guys? Hey Eddie. Doing doing good. How was you guys' uh weekend? Have a good weekend. Uh for me, yeah, it was great. I actually had a friend of mine uh, came into town to visit and we were talking about uh, uh, board games and video games and getting oh, caught up and just like, you know, what's cool out there. So that's always fun. Yeah. yeah. Plenty of that so to you, talk about. Are you a big board gamer? Uh, yeah, I'm getting more and more into it. Um, uh, lately, I've been getting a lot more into uh, cooperative games. Okay. Nice. Um, what, are your, uh, what are your go-to co-op games? Uh, uh, I definitely like um, Sentinels of the Multiverse. Oh, kind of like big, Eddie, you just made a fast friend. <laughs> Oh my man! I have I actually, like I actually backed everything. a big Kickstarter that had like the you know you're fighting the big like hundred thousand. Oh, uh, uh, Oblivion. Oblivion does it, yeah. Yeah, that's the yeah, only yeah. one I don't have. I have everything else. Oh, it's uh, it's 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 the scenario is ludicrous. It's just like yeah, it, oh, yeah. it's like you have to get like like twenty thousand dollars and then this card flips. Yeah, you know, twenty thousand points. Of I health, played. And uh, they they play tested it. Sorry, Drew, you're just going to be alienated here for a minute. <laughs> uh, okay, I played, I played it once. Yeah, I play tested Oblivion. Like, gosh, it was probably three years, two or three years oh, ago really? at Gen Con. They were play testing it, nice. and it was even worse then. Like. <laughs> Uh, they, I don't know how many playtests they ran over the course of the weekend, and I think two groups actually like beat it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it was so ludicrous, and like I think the groups that did beat it took them like four hours or something crazy. Oh yeah. Um, but I really enjoy the digital version. I don't know if you've played that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually, this may be heresy, but I actually think the digital version's better because it automates all the housekeeping stuff you have to do. Um, I can totally see that. Um, I, I like both for different reasons. Like um, the housekeeping, I don't mind, especially if there's lots of people involved, mm-hmm. um, because then there's a kind of, oh, hey, remember you got to add this and I should add that. I mean, it, it can be irritating, but also it adds to the I think the strategy and the the feeling you're part of a team yeah. because you can help each other out with those kind of bits. But you're right. If I just want to like kind of play more of the puzzle of the game, as it were, and it's like, I want to see how this deck works against that villain, then yeah, the, the digital version is way better. 
Mm-hmm. Well, this isn't say, the uh, Sentinels podcast, but <laughs> it can be. <laughs> my one, my one bit of feedback about Sentinels is that, like, the, I think I played it once or twice, maybe just once, but that was something I remembered as being as feeling like I had to do a lot of math. Yeah, and I played it at a time. This is common with me is I'll I'll get into <laughs> into LA to visit Chris uh, or whatever. Sleepy dream. And it'll be really like with the time difference, it'll be really late, and then we'll play a game, and I'd fall asleep. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I don't think I fell asleep in Sentinels, but I do remember feeling like I was too tired. To I think I need to start. <laughs> I'm not on Instagram, but I think I should start an Instagram of just pictures of Drew sleeping while playing games with me. <laughs> Because I think I could have a lot of content. (laughs) This is Drew falling asleep during Arkham Horror. This is Drew falling asleep. Actually, he (laughs) has fallen asleep playing Arkham Horror. It's funny you should mention that. (laughs) That's literally happened. (laughs) And it's not like a like if any of the the developers of these games are listening, it's not like a slide on those games. It's just a problem that I. He's just a a sleepy guy. He's a sleepy boy. Yeah. Uh, what other co-op games we kind of rabbit trailed on Sentinels? No, that that's fair. Um, uh, the problem is there's so many I'm blanking on it now. Um, yeah. uh, uh, actually, uh, Hogwarts Battle. Oh that, yeah, that's one. the yeah, that's one, one and only game my wife actually would ask me to play. She's not really into games, uh-huh. but that she's super into Harry Potter, mm-hmm. and that yeah. game was just like the that sweet helps. spot where she would like. I didn't have to beg her like, oh, play a game with me, play a game with me. Like she would say, hey, when are we going to play the next one? Like, Who's her go-to character? Uh, uh, she I, played as Ron. I, I played as, Harry. I think I played as Harry, yeah. yeah. And that game is hard too. Like the first couple of years you're going, oh, I got this. This game's pretty oh, hard. Totally, and you get the year three and it's like, yeah, you don't know nothing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's kind of like the books too, right? Like yeah. the, the first two books, you're like, oh, this is whimsical and you know, whatever. And then it's like, oh, the world's going to end. Okay. Right, then you get around year five, and it's just like we're all going to die horribly, yeah. <laughs> which is exactly like books, you know. This is probably like says something about my parenting, and people will probably judge me for this, but I'm on I'm re- reading Harry Potter with my seven year old, and uh, like we just keep we just keep plowing through them, you know. So I'm like, I, I I don't. A lot of people have said like you should wait to read some of the later books till your kids get a little, like a little older, you know, but. Um, uh, she's just enjoying it so much. Like we just kept going. So we're in book six, and I'm like, man, this is heavy stuff. Like, we're, we're starting to get into yeah. horcruxes. And Dude. How, how old are your kids? So my, I have a seven year old, a five year old, and a one and a half year old. But okay. it's really just my seven year old that we're reading Harry Potter together. That's fair. Um, and actually, her sister is in the room with us when we read, but I don't think she really pays attention. You know, so I, right. she's technically listening to it too, but I don't right. think it's registering with her. Yeah, see, I've, she's I've, usually like playing dolls or Legos while we're reading. So oh, it's all yeah. Um, I, I just learned from experience that I think kids can handle that stuff a lot more than sometimes we give them credit for. Yeah, um, I think you're right. Yeah, I like there's a great quote from uh, 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 Neil Gaiman. Uh, it was in his, for his uh, book Coraline, um, mm-hmm. where he says that um, the book might be a bit scary for adults, but it's just right for kids. <laughs> mm. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Neil. It's really important. Like, it's become important to me to like find. Um, cause there's so much like, I don't mean like moral garbage, but just garbage that's like sort of weightless, um, for kids, like kids programming. Oh yeah. Like, um, I'm trying to think of some examples. Like <laughs> it, it, it's not very deep. The yeah. Barbie, any of the Barbie we like, get it. animated yeah. series are like, they don't have any substance to them. Yeah. So like, it's become really important to me to find like shows that we can watch together and things that like 
have real heroic moments and people dealing with real, like real family, you know, dynamic issues and things like that, that are, that are handled responsibly, you know? Yeah, totally. And I think like shows like uh, on Netflix, uh, Dragon Prince is a really good example. Of that. Yeah, Mike, we've loved that one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a show that's pitched for kids, but I mean, there's, there's some, there's some depth happening there, you know, characters yeah, are dead. And, you know. In season two. Yeah. 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 Totally. I don't, yeah. Want to, I don't want to mention which characters. Don't want to spoil it for anybody, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love Dragon Prince. Have you seen, um, oh, I just blinked on it. Um, Ronya, the robber's daughter. No, I haven't. So that's on Amazon. It's uh, Goro Miyazaki, which is like um, Hideo Miyazaki's son, I believe, who did a lot of like the Studio Ghibli films. Okay, right. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, it's his son that made it, but it's, um, yeah, it's just, I love the way it deals with like sort of, it's a fantastical sort of fantasy series but it handles like relationships and, and kids and the emotions of children in a really like really rad way, I think. Nice. So anyway, uh, commercial for that over. Uh, <laughs> Eddie, tell us about Pugmire and the work that you do. Um, so uh, uh, let me just kind of start with the, the second half there. Um, sure. Uh, I've been a, uh, I'm a writer and a game designer, um, but I have been since around 2002. Uh, a lot of my work has been in tabletop role-playing games. It's kind of where I started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and actually, my first project I worked on professionally was a game called Cartoon Action Hour, interestingly enough. Um, okay. it, was cool. a, it was a, a game about emulating 80s-style uh, uh, cartoons slash, you know, toy commercials. You know, so it's your He-Man, G.I. Joe, mm-hmm. Transformers, kind of thing, but, you know, without any of the brands. So <laughs> There's no way we can go for it ahead, though. <laughs> right. um, uh, and so from there, I, you know, I started working on uh, just – Anything I can get freelancers. So I was doing a lot of freelance work, um, and, and I got the privilege to work on things like uh, uh, the Red Dwarf tabletop role-playing game and the World Wrestling Entertainment tabletop role-playing game. And I get to really understand how licenses work. Uh, so yeah. around 2007, um, uh, uh, I got the opportunity to work at a company called White Wolf Publishing. Uh, I did a White project- Wolf Publishing. Is that what you said? White Wolf Publishing. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, they. Uh, I worked on a project for them. They really liked my work. Um, and there was a job opening, a full-time job opening. At the time, I lived in St. Louis. Um, but they wanted me to move to Atlanta to take the job. Um, and so I talked to my family about it. We agreed. We all packed up, moved to Georgia. Um, and then around that time, uh, they had merged with a video game company called TCP. It does EVE Online. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, Heard of it. I, 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 <laughs> I, I worked on tabletop stuff there, but I also started getting heavily involved in, in video game stuff. And my familiarity with licenses really helped me kind of uh, uh, talk to like the, the legal team there because we were wanting license stuff out. Uh, and so okay, these kinds of things that I know I've worked on the other side of it's like, and um, you know, if we talk to these partners, you kind of see what we need and so forth and so forth. Uh, so I actually worked over, moved over into the uh, late lamented World Darkness uh, MMO, uh, which got canceled five years later. Mm-hmm. Um, me and my wife were laid off. And so, you know, you're not like, like you, you don't have like true street cred as a game designer until you've worked like for years on a project that gets canceled. Yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah. So totally. Rite of passage. So you earned your stripes, man. Uh, and, and, and it's actually worse because that was my first, I mean, with the, I, I did some work on even online, but mostly, most of my work had been on this one project and I couldn't show anybody anything. Um, mm. So I was trying to find work and it's like, Hey, so I worked on this game you never saw. And that's yeah. it. Um, it was, it was for five be years. Awesome. <laughs> it would have been great. 
Also, with all proprietary information, I can't share any of it. (laughs) Um, So when I realized that was going to be a new starter, um, I I actually went into uh, – I worked for myself. Uh, I formed a company called Pugsteady. Um, and I realized that I've been working a lot of time on other people's properties. So I want to start making one of my own. Yeah. And that leads into Pugmire. Um, uh, uh, so I'm guessing all this is rooted in like a love for pugs. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, we have, uh, now owns, well, in, in our lives, we've owned three pugs. We've fostered a fourth. Um, That's cool. And my family just really loved them. Uh, and right around the time uh, that I was trying to think of something I could you know, do, I could, a property I could make my own. Um, uh, I was in a, a temporary apartment. We were there for a couple of weeks and it was just an old ice house that had been converted into apartments. So yeah. just open plan concrete. When you say an old ice house, what is that? Like, 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 like um, a place that used to store ice, um, before oh, they okay. shipped it out to people before they had refrigeration. Gotcha. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, so that you would just have to have like, you know, just big concrete place to, to keep ice cool. Yeah. Um, and so you have two dogs that are going crazy and so they're barking and then the sound reflects back to them and they hear oh there's a dog so I have to bark at them again <laughs> so that lasted about 20 minutes for us okay we're it's done. like the definition of an echo chamber <laughs> right exactly um so uh we actually um got things like we're gonna go outside we're gonna walk um and i re and i started just kind of just trying to keep myself occupied you know as, as my dogs are entertaining themselves um and and watching their personalities and i started uh mapping it to old like kind of dungeons and dragons templates it's like oh well puck here is kind of like the bard because everyone loves him and he goes very adventurous and goes off and tries things and murray is kind of the wizard because he sits back and watches things and very careful um and then i was like this actually there's something here uh so i started uh, actually working on some fiction and eventually became a tabletop role-playing game um and pugmire now is the kind of result of that and that's basically it's set far in our future so it's actually set on earth but it's set long after humanity is gone um and so dogs have been left behind and cats and a couple other uh, species been left behind to kind of reclaim the earth uh, so it's kind of lord of the rings meets planet of the apes but with dogs <laughs> that's great yeah. um and one of the things that um uh, i realized as i was writing that is i wanted to find I, I wanted to use it to explore the relationship we have with our pets. Um, so for the Pugmire, which is the dog, we have, there's also Monarchies of Mao, which is the cat version of the game, but for the dog version of the game. Um, what right, is the cat version again? Monarchies of Mao. Okay, gotcha. Um, yeah, because uh, there they're are like six different city-states that are kind of trying to work together and come together as a nation. Um, so cats are very kind of independent and prickly. Um, I was just making sure you didn't say monarchies of meow. No, 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 it's, well, no, it's not. <laughs> Although um, the gag is actually um, Mao is the earliest uh, known breed of cat. Okay. Uh, it's Egyptian cats, and they were named after the sound they made. Ah, so, basically, so the joke is like, you know, what are you? Meow. All right, sure, that sounds good. <laughs> That's what you are, you're Mao. That's fun. <laughs> um, but, so I want to figure out where humanity came in. And, and when you look at how dogs treat people, I mean, I mean both if you live with dogs, but also just kind of like meme lines. You see people talking about dogs. They kind of hold, are you a good dog? Uh, um, they look to humanity for that. And like, mm-hmm. that, that's, that's an awful lot like religion, you know? Um, so there's yeah. a church of man. There's a church of the old ones. Um, and the reason why the dogs and the cats don't get along is because dogs look to humanity and say, you give us guidance. You tell us whether we're good dogs. And cats look at humanity and go, you worshiped us. And you did cool things for us. So we value you as past servants to us. 
Mm. So, so the cats like are like, cat. the cats put themselves above humanity and the dogs don't take that well. And that's why dogs and cats actually don't get along. Mm. Oh, interesting. That sounds like pretty accurate to uh, the cat dog rivalry. <laughs> right. <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> and that also like- kind of, you know, makes me think about how uh, people relate to cats and dogs too, you know? Like, right. Like we, there's a lot of, you know, cat lovers will claim that like they're more independent and and dog lovers will claim that they're like, you know, or cat lovers will say of dog lovers, you just need, you just need attention and mm-hmm. <laughs> that kind of stuff. So My favorite thing is when cat people will try to sell how cool their cat is and they'll say, oh, they act just like a dog. And I'm like, <laughs> cool. Like, why don't you just get a dog? Cause all dogs act like dogs. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then you're like sure to get a dog like do- you know yeah, a dog. dog. Well, act like a dog if you get a dog. Right. So, if that's what you're going for. Exactly. Yeah. And that was the thing is that I wanted to actually use the the game and to watch the world to kind of explore that a bit more. And also, um, like all kind of good animal stories, I think is that it's also really an allegory about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you look at you know uh, every. Anything ancient like Aesop's fables, all the way to more modern things like uh, uh, the, the graphic novel Mouse, um, you know, or even things like Mouse Guard. Um, a yeah. lot of it is really us using animal traits as a way to explore our strengths and weaknesses and, and to talk about ourselves as people. Um, yeah. So it's definitely a way to kind of explore things like, okay, well, we as people understand the cat dog rivalry. So that's a way to actually explore things like xenophobia and racial tensions in a very right, yeah. positive way that, you know, even kids can possibly understand. It's like, oh, of course I hate them because of cats. Like, okay, but is it okay to hate cats just because they're cats? Right. Oh, well, maybe not. You know, so it allows you to explore those things in a very safe environment. Yeah, yeah. I think there's really something in that when you can kind of do that in a fantasy setting. Like you said, it makes it safe and it there creates a little distance. You know, you can remove some of the like emotional response from it and look at it maybe more objectively. Yeah, uh, and also allows cool. me to uh, explore um, on brand for this podcast. It allows me to explore some religious topics um, to people who aren't normally keen on those. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because I'm, if I don't, if I take real world religion on the topic, say okay, you know, but as a dog, you're supposed to be a good dog. <laughs> and what does that mean? I've seen people spend like thirty minutes or an hour arguing in character about what constitutes mm. a good dog. Because they're they're using their real world kind of knowledge <laughs> That's of what, so fun, man. what we see dogs do, and then they start to realize, oh, we're having a religious yeah. debate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and it's like you're kind of alluding to is there's there's just some triggers for people, you know, like people because I think in you know what we do with Love Thy Nerd and in our experience is like there's just a lot of hurt, you know, mm-hmm. the church. I mean, but we're obviously coming from like Christianity kind of perspective, and there's just been so much hurt and harm done um, by Christians to people that aren't. <laughs> and so the minute you say any of those kinds of words, you know, God or Jesus or church, or it's like the walls are up and the hurt is on. Yeah. Um, but I think like what, like what you're saying is you create a safer place for people to talk about that stuff and explore that stuff and uh, without, you know, dying inside or something yeah and also i mean like um it allowed me to kind of give people um a chance to explore different elements um like uh one of the things it's, it's, it's meant to be kind of a throwaway reference but um the dogs uh every four or five times a day they have the call to walk the bells ring and they go out and they walk around <laughs> because man told them 
that yeah. three to four times a day, you have to go out and go walkies. Um, but a, a, a Muslim friend of mine is like, going, oh my God, that's a call to prayer. It's like, yeah, absolutely. That was, that's the whole oh, that's funny. point. It's a reference to it, but in a way that people go, oh, I get how that works for dogs. Yeah. It's a yeah. small step to start thinking about this new concept that maybe you wouldn't normally be exposed to. Hmm. Yeah. And you talked about some of like the dealing with some of the tensions between people of different races or perhaps people of different, um, different religions, even, and things like that. Have, have you heard feedback from players that have interacted with that meaningfully? You know, what, what are some stories? What's like a good story? Maybe if someone who's like picked up on some of that and um, impacted them. So like my, my kind of, uh, there's two small anecdotes. Uh, the first one, when we were first play testing it, um, uh, I hadn't really dug into all of the stuff I just mentioned. It was more like, okay, it's a fun fantasy game with dogs. Um, but the way I design worlds and the way I design games is I try to find depth, but I also know that sometimes obviously putting a depth in looks contrived. It's like, here's the moral lesson you're going to hear today. It's like, it doesn't land well. Right. So sometimes I just put the pieces together and see what comes out of it. Christians never do that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so uh, it was a very early playtest, and I went to a convention that um, it was a, predominantly a live action convention. There's a lot of people who are playing uh, Vampire the Masquerade as a live action thing. So these are people who are used to playing characters that are kind of, you know, Machiavellian and manipulative and dark. Mm -hmm. um, it's like, hey, come play my stupid dog game. And they're like, sure, no problem, Eddie. <laughs> um, and so I started playing it. I was expecting it to be kind of a, I would say, fairly traditional Dungeon Dragons experience where you're playing glorified mercenaries that kill characters and take their stuff and move on. Um, I had designed it so that that was not incentivized, but I wanted to, without telling them what the tone was, I wanted to see what naturally came out. And uh, one of the characters was a shepherd of Bam. Um, and so I was like, you know, well, your characters shows the other dogs that they're supposed to be good dogs. And, and the player was like, okay, cool, you do that. Um, and so they started really leaning into it. It's like, oh, yeah, you should be a good dog. Stop being a good dog. And the other players started listening. And they started actually acting like a team because they did not want to be called a bad dog. <laughs> <laughs> and these are people who, yeah. again, have said horrible things in the portrayal of their characters in this kind of dark horror setting. But like, but I don't want to be a bad dog. <laughs> um, yeah. And that's when we, that's when the whole be a good dog thing was like, Originally, it was one of the uh, uh, tenets of the Church of Man that we I bumped it up to number one. I'm like, okay, this is the catchphrase of the game functionally. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Uh, uh, side note: the the catchphrase for Monarchies of Mao is "but be an excellent cat." So, <laughs> in case you're curious, sounds about right. All right. Um, but yeah. uh, so um, once I kind of realized this, um, I, I did some more playtesting. I was later on in this test cycle. Um, and I had written a scenario where I wanted to kind of dig into the moral complexities without being obvious about it. Uh, so the, the, the scenario, there's a lot of other moving parts, but the key piece of the scenario was that um, there was a, uh, a character named Alistair uh, who had a cat uh, valet. And the cat valets, you know, was, you know, had come from the monarchies, but had lived in Pugmire for, you know, most of his life. Uh, he came over as a kitten, found his, his and works for this dog and is happy in that relationship. You know, he's not abused. Alistair's just kind of dim. He really relies on his valet because he's a wizard, focused on wizard things. And it's like, okay, we should actually maybe eat and get dressed. Mm -hmm. uh, so they have kind of very kind of a Jeeves and Wooster style relationship. Um, and so the cat gets arrested for reasons that upon investigation ultimately amount to because he's a cat and looked vaguely suspicious. And so the character is trashed by Alistair. Could you go off and I, I, as a noble, I can't 
be seen going against the police. So can you go off and find evidence and bring it back so I can have my ballot released? And so, okay, cool. So I go off and have an adventure. They bring the evidence back and the cat's released. And the players are talking afterwards. One player pulls me aside. So can I ask you a question? I'm like, sure. I'm thinking, where can I buy the book? I have a question about the yeah. pool. And they're like, was that again about racial profiling? <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> yes. Yes, it was. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, uh, uh, and since then, I've had other people really uh, uh, gravitate to that. But again, because I don't I don't pitch it that way. There are also yeah. lots yeah. of people who are just like, I don't play a wine runner with a battle axe. And it's like, great, you know, have fun. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, I've run for like families and I've found that generally kind of just to say – get together, play for a few hours kind of scenario. Uh, the adults are like, oh yeah, there's a lot of depth and texture and the kid's going, when can I attack him again? And they just <laughs> don't care. But it's great because they're both having fun in very different ways. Um, yeah, so, and that's why I think that that's it's exciting about it. And, and again, a lot of it was, I just discovered that as I was running it, as I was building it, it was something I kind of built yeah. in. Um, so the fact that people are picking up on it is really heartening because I, I, I love that aspect of the game. Yeah, yeah. So the different like breeds of dogs have different, traits and things like that different skills uh, yeah so or... basically um from a mechanical level um there are seven different uh, uh categories of breeds um they were initially very loosely based on uh the akc stuff so there's there's, there's runners there's workers um you now there's co- uh, companions uh and then over time i realized that wasn't working and i've actually talked to some uh uh, uh dog um uh, uh psychologists uh, people who study dog drive and mm-hmm. why dogs yeah. act the way they are. Um, and so I adjust them around. So basically, it's, it's the, if whichever one of those six categories makes sense for the breed you want to play, just slot that in is really what it comes down to because I want people to have flexibility because I didn't want to get into endless arguments of, well, you didn't mention the uh, German Shepherds and they should have been in this group and you had them in that. <laughs> I don't want to get into that. Um, but then also seventh category is mutts. Um, there's this, you kind of, you know, Mix and match a little bit more. And again, kind of, uh, none of these quite fit what I want. So here's a seventh category. We can kind of mix and match it to make it what you want. Um, yeah. Uh, but in the world, uh, each of the dog breeds is kind of a family. And I intentionally made it very muddy and messy because human genealogy is very muddy and messy. Uh, so right. like uh, there are a lot of hounds. Um, and so like if you have wolfhound, I have it as wolf-hound. So it's like a hyphenated family name. So like there's the wolf family and the hound family. And at some point, they became the wolf-hounds. Uh, and, and so there's lots and lots of, of hound branch families. And so there's yeah. stuff in the history about how the hounds were contenders for the rulers of Pugmire, never quite made it. So they moved off and formed another kingdom called Houndton. And, you know, uh, uh, how do the um, corgis fit into this? Well, the corgis maybe are here, over here. It, it, it's meant to kind of emulate the difficulties in like, say, uh, a, a British or German or French noble tradition of how the families intersect and you know, approach each other and marry and intermarry and whatnot. So it's meant to be kind of a glorious mess. So you can fit yourself in there anywhere that you want, you think makes sense. Um, Yeah, I like that. But if you want to have a faster dog, then you could make a, pick the faster dog category and put your dog in there. If you want the stronger dog, you make the stronger dog category and put them in there. So it gives people a chance, flexibility. But it gives some examples as well. So like the pugs are naturally the charismatic family because, oh, they're so cute. I'll do anything. (laughs) That's biased. (laughs) <laughs> right exactly um uh, uh, but i mean i've seen they're always snorting so. you know isn't it don't pugs always kind of like snort oh yeah they snort from the sneeze yeah, and like little piglets yeah. kind of wheezy yeah 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 absolutely it's like you, they walk five steps go, cool i'm done that's it <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's like me uh 
So you mentioned this a couple times just about, um, you know, this intersection of like religion and kind of your fascination with that Mm -hmm. in this context. But you told us uh, when we were emailing about coming on the show that you actually spoke at a couple classes like about this intersection of like religion and pop culture stuff. Yeah. Uh, What was that about? Like, how'd that come about? Um, So uh, prior to uh, Pugman, when I was still at White Wolf, um, there was a point in time where I was uh, what's called the line developer, basically the creative lead um, for a game called Vampire the Masquerade. Um, And in the Vampire the Masquerade mythos, uh, they believe that all vampires are descended from Cain. Uh, You know, he was the Mm -hmm. first murderer, and so vampires are all... Yeah, Cain and Abel, yeah. Exactly. Um, so it's really, really, really hard to talk about Vampire Nights without talking about Judeo-Christian myth. And that's, that was intentional by the design. I, I didn't make that design. Mm-hmm. I, I inherited that property mm-hmm. around 20 years it been around. Um, but I recognized that that was a big, strong piece of it. Like there's a, a very prominent mechanic called humanity uh, in Vampire Nights And as you perform sins uh, against humanity, that humanity decreases. And if you lose all of your humanity, you become a ravening monster and you're no longer a playable character. Hmm. Um, so there's a very clear indication of that. And um, one of the people uh, on our uh, demo team, people that we asked, you know, fans to get together and actually run games for us at conventions. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a, a religion teacher. Uh, and she said, I, would you be interested in talking to my class about this? And so I, I've done it a couple of times now. And, and because I find it very fascinating that um, games have a chance to explore and talk about religion, but also in a lot of ways, they're very bad at it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah. the reason why... Amen. I, I mean, yeah, I'm, sure, I'm sure you have a lot of opinions on that. But for me, the problem a lot of times is that the people of faith fall into one of two categories. Uh, the well-duh category. It's like, I believe in gods because that God is right over there and gives me this, this exact stat bonus to do a thing. So, of course, I believe in God because I could directly either interact with God or God gives me a direct benefit. So why would I not believe in God? Right. The other category is you're an idiot, um, which is that the, the game explicitly tells you there is no faith. And so people of faith are therefore stupid because we as the audience recognize that they don't believe in anything. Um, and I feel like the middle ground is actually not often explored in games mm-hmm. um, uh, because usually faith – a lot of times has a a, a, a buff or a stat modifier, uh, or it's just a throwaway component. It's like you know, you know, oh, they, they have they have faith. You know, in the same way, it's like oh, their their hair is brown. You know, it's, like it's part of the bio, and that's all that happens. Um, right. And horror games in particular are pretty bad about this. Uh, there are not very many uh, uh, characters of faith in horror fiction that are uh, something you want to emulate. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, right. Right. Uh, so it, it, it's something that bothered me, even though I'm not, I'm agnostic myself. I would see a lot of my friends with faith not seeing themselves in the game. And I, I'm very, I feel very strongly about inclusivity in design. Um, and there's a lot of conversations that happen around things like uh, bringing people different sexualities into these kinds of games and bringing people different uh, races in these kinds of games and different faiths in these games. But the concept of faith alone is, is actually one of the areas that we don't, aren't good at. Um, so uh, when we uh, start, we did a. It, it seems like that's when that's when it gets uncomfortable for people, you know. Like when faith, when religion or faith is like a concept, um, 
or we just sort of acknowledge that there's people with faith out there in the world or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's something that I think we can handle. But I think sometimes when it's like, no, you're dealing with people who actually believe like spiritual things about being true in the world, people start getting like uncomfortable, <laughs> you know? Like, so I'm curious of how you, you, cause I think that's important for us to like be able to have conversations about these things and maybe get a, like get a little uncomfortable and like, acknowledge our that we're uncomfortable right. about it so i'm curious of like how you bridge that gap so uh for me um one of the things i did like uh, uh there was a i guess i'll describe it as a spin-off called vampire the requiem uh it was kind of a reboot of the world and it takes a different direction um and again i wasn't involved in the design of that but one of the pieces i helped develop um was they had a similar faith uh there stemmed from uh longinus the first um uh, uh soldier to stab christ and in Vampire the Masquerade, it was Cain was whether Cain existed or not was kind of nebulous, but he had children, childer, vampire childer, and they caused the clans to be created. So it was pretty clear. Okay, there's probably something there. Um, but with uh, Requiem, it was a little muddier, and I had the chance to actually make the um, the in world's book of faith, the Testament of Longinus. So it's kind of a fake uh, uh, vampire bible. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm realizing as I'm saying this on this podcast, it's going to sound really awkward to some people, but... <laughs> wow, it's just, just what I've always wanted. Right. Um, <laughs> so I actually hired uh, a, a, a theological scholar and a person of faith to write on that book. Um, mm. And I said, I want this oh, wow. to actually feel like a theological debate. Mm. Um, so one of the things we did in that book that we haven't done in previous books was there's actually footnotes as the two compilers are coming at from wildly different perspectives. Um, yeah. One person's coming from much more kind of conservative, what was written actually literally happened, and the person coming from it as a kind of, this is actually much more meant to be allegorical. Um, we brought in a lot of historical research around the times that we were alluding to. And the ultimate goal was, I wanted people to end the book and go, you could have two different opinions or four different opinions or a hundred different opinions of what was said and all theoretically be true. By making that concept both concrete and not definitive, it allows people to explore that gray area. It's like, okay, faith is faith. People have faith in this universe. So that is just, you can't debate that. There's an entire group of vampires that all believe something about this. But the specifics of what they believe, they all completely disagree on. And so they can say, okay, I have this power that I call a miracle that allows me to do a thing that other vampires can't do. That comes from my faith. But it doesn't necessarily directly come from Longinus or God or whatever. Each character can interpret where that source comes from. And there are actually agnostic vampires in that group. It's like, okay, I don't believe – I believe this power comes from myself. I believe the power of my faith in these concepts is what powers me. I don't think it comes from an external entity. Um, and that's also a valid approach. So um, it's something that Pugmire weirdly doesn't do very well because we as the audience all know that we didn't empower dogs to shoot magic missile. I mean, I know that I didn't do that. I was at that meeting. Um, so we know that that's not true, but I tried to make sure that inside the worlds, no character can actually answer that question. No character can definitively say, well, humanity isn't doing this. Uh, and I try to muddy those waters in the fiction as much as possible. But with, with vampires, I was able to actually muddy the water between, because there's in real worlds, faith is a basis. I had to muddy the water between the players and the characters as well. I think that that's really good. Uh, that's a simple way to say that. Um, <laughs> I like your stuff. <laughs> I, I like, I think people 
in general need to be more comfortable with gray areas. Mm -hmm. And I would say Christians especially, but maybe even all faith groups. I mean, I can only kind of speak from the Christian perspective, but that's something that makes people so uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because it's so uh, not defined. And I mean, that's what our brains are wired to do, right? Like make sense and order out of things that don't have sense and order. Uh, right, but the and... nice thing about game design, though, is that um, the book says, okay, faith exists, and there's benefit for being part of faith, but why? That's up to you to decide. And so for some groups, they're going to enjoy that and say, okay, let's talk, let's dig into this and talk about that and have that debate. And players wants to go, no, I just know that this is, my faith is this, and the game is not contradicting me, so I can still see myself yeah. in that space. Right. So the money also works from a player perspective for people who don't want to have a muddied perspective. They don't want to look at the gray areas. But because it's the, the topic is gray, they can see their definitive view inside of that gray space. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, well, I do want to make sure we talk about a little bit about kind of you and your background and all that kind of stuff. So did you you said you're from St. Louis originally? Is that where you grew up? I actually originally from Northern Ohio. Um, oh, okay. I, hey, I, Midwest, my man. Yeah. I grew up in a city <laughs> called Lorraine, Ohio, um, which is about an hour-ish west of Cleveland. Um, and it was okay. a... I'm guessing small town? Uh, well, no, it was actually, um, it was a steel town. It actually has a, a big uh, okay. Ford plant there. Um, but then the steel dried up about 50 years ago, and the town's been kind of in a pretty steady decline ever since. Mm. Um, so it's a bit yeah. like, it's a smaller version of Detroit in a lot of ways. <laughs> Dude, you yeah. are literally describing my hometown as well. And oh, I really? often describe my hometown as a smaller Detroit. Where are you from? <laughs> so I'm from, it's called Anderson, Indiana. Okay. Uh, but same thing, like lots of industrial plants and stuff that all, you know, closed down and laid off thousands of people. And it's just a depressing place at this point. Yeah, it's the same thing. And on top of it, um, uh, Lorraine is right on uh, Lake Erie. And also there's a river, the Lorraine, Lorraine mm-hmm. River. Um, and so, uh, it was a big shipping area and that dried up. Um, but because it's kind of close to Cleveland, some of the Cleveland money has made its way somewhat out here. So you have this weird dichotomy of it. It's now basically really cheap lands. Um, so, uh, there's this one road called uh, Lake Avenue of a train on the lake and the North side, which is around the lake, you see million dollar mansions. And then on the other side of the street, you'll see dilapidated abandoned buildings mm-hmm. it's yeah. it's a stark difference um and I, frankly i yeah. think that living up and grew up in the environment really gave me um an appreciation for horror and also i also write a lot of, of noir style fiction um mm. that, that kind of stark has and has nots really shaped my my viewpoint in life so what did your parents do growing up? Um, uh, my dad uh, worked in, uh, he was a car manufacturer. I mean, he, he worked on the construction line at Ford. Um, my mom was uh, a barmaid. Uh, they got divorced. Um, so my dad went off and remarried. Um, uh, I had a couple of stepdads. My, my first stepdad also worked in uh, uh, a body shop. So, you know, again, automotive strong trends. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, my uh, I just don't owe my dad's faith. I know he's uh, he was Christian, but I never inquired into the specifics of it. Uh, my mom was Catholic. Um, okay. Uh, but it was kind of... Um, uh, Were they both like practicing or... Uh, no. Um, uh, so my mom was uh, Irish Catholic and she was kind of told that she was going to become Catholic. 
And it's something yeah. that she resented. So when she became adult, she really kind of, uh, of lapsed. And when I grew up, she wanted to make sure that I didn't have that experience. So mm -hmm. she gave me the choice that when I was of age, I could make an, an informed decision and she would support whatever uh, beliefs I wanted. But she to took you to church before that? Yeah, yeah. I, I went to a couple uh, okay. of churches and I also uh, went to a few masses as well. Um, right. But that was part of my, just more of an exploration. She said, you know, I was like, if you want to stop going, yeah. and of course I'm like, you're 10, you know, you know, like going, Hey, I want to go take up half of my weekends and sit yeah. my mouth and somebody else talk. That sounds great. Yeah. You know, I, I, I yeah. on that. Um, yeah. but I did appreciate her making the effort and I came to explore it. And also like, you know, like when I was a kid, a couple times I went to like a uh, uh, Bible school during the summer. Mm -hmm. Um, so I mean, yeah. I, I certainly felt like I got my, uh, uh, exposure to it all. Um, but I just realized it kind of wasn't for me. Um, but also during time, like, yeah. I remember going to uh, Bible school as a kid, mm -hmm. and uh, I remember hating it. It was not good. Um, <laughs> like it just felt like it was boring. Like the crafts to me were not fun. Uh, there was a lot of like, "Hey, quit being loud and sit down and do that," you know. And I just remember going two or three times and hating it. But like my kids, they would go to every vacation Bible school that. Is that is offered by every church in town? If we let them, they love it. I think I think it's in part because they're different than me, but also in part because Vacation Bible School has evolved over the yes. years. Dude, that's a <laughs> spectacle! Like, oh I, man, yeah, I visited some of the Vacation Bible schools that that they've gone to, and uh, it's like a party, man. Some of those places uh, rival freaking Disneyland. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> like. Like they know how to let kids have fun, so I guess that's good. Yeah, no, I went in the eighties when it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's when I went in the eighties and early nineties, right. and it was not. I did not enjoy it. No. But I mean, it was for me. Um, like uh, I, I was always kind of vaguely interested. I was like, I felt like I, I believed in something, right? It's like but I wasn't sure what it was. Yeah. Um, and mm -hmm. so like I explored uh, paganism for a while. I explored Taoism for a while. Um, and ultimately at the end, I I. I I, I'm not. When you say explore, like you're reading about them, reading about them, I uh, went to groups. Um, I, I, I identified as pagan for like about a year. Um, I had some pagan friends, um, and then uh, uh, I read up on Taoism. Like, oh, that's totally what I am. And then, like, I'm not because I don't have the cultural background <laughs> yeah. to actually be that. I think, like, I'd be curious to hear you share a little bit about your experience with paganism, just okay. because I think like a lot of Christians hear that and go, like, oh, it was like witchcraft or like, like they get like that sounds scary to them and may and weird and they don't understand it so i'd be oh. curious what what was that like? um so no it, it, actually funny like the weirder things was actually just stuff like you know playing with my, my vampire larp friends my actual the the pagan groups i was involved especially in northern ohio um it was just mostly like uh, a lot of new age style of, of paganism. Okay. Um, so very yeah. much steeped from the kind of sixties and seventies counterculture, um, a lot of hippies, a lot of uh, repurposed and, and uh, recontextualized uh, Eastern philosophy. Um, uh, uh, I, I did actually have a friend who was a, a, a actual like Satanist and uh, we, we didn't get along, not because he was a jerk, but just like <laughs> I told him, I was like, so you're basically just a Christian. And he's like, no, I'm saying this. Like, you believe in the same stuff, just backwards. I don't want to understand. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I didn't even get it, you know? And then uh, I've yeah. sent It's like cat people saying their cat's cool because it's like a dog. Right, yeah. It's like I, <laughs> I, 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 I've <laughs> since actually met some people who are genuinely like interesting, well-thought-out uh, uh, Satanists. And it's, it's, a, it's a misnomer. Like, 
it, they're saying it's kind of like an inherited terms. Like they don't even believe in Satan. It's a whole separate thing. And I, I don't understand completely. So I'm not going to go into it, but sure. with, with paganism, it's kind of just a large, a lot of times it's a lot of just a, a band for and everything else. Um, hmm. So I met a ton of people who had a wide variety of faiths, but it kind of got all lumped into paganism. Um, but I mean, in my experience, it was just like um, very chill. Uh, there wasn't, there wasn't a desire to, uh, convert nearly um it was just more like yeah. what do you believe and i was like i don't know it's like cool here's some options what do you like oh, i kind of like that one cool let's talk more about that um mm. uh and the the kinds of people i generally gravitate to which more, more of the kind of uh um english and uh, irish based uh, uh you know kind of druid is druidic and, and those kind of nature worship elements mm-hmm. um but then i i realized that that wasn't satisfying me either and so i just went to my friends like going hey i just want to hang out but i just i don't think i'm into this anymore and they're like all right cool and and we go back to playing marvel superheroes or talking about movies or whatever (laughs) um yeah uh uh, i mean like uh my wife uh she actually worked at a pagan uh bookstore bookstore for a while um Mm. and Mm. basically she complained more about the the bookstore side of it than the actual like religious side of it um it's it's just working in a bookstore just happened to be a very specialized topic um so i could see why maybe people who haven't experienced it might seem scary because it's it's something other it's something that you have no experience with it can be frightening uh but in my experience it was mostly just a bunch of people sitting around drinking beer and talking about things that they thought were important um but just like any other group of people having faith going around to talk about things that we think are important yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, at the end, um, the past 20 years, I've really just kind of settled on I'm agnostic. Um, you know, I don't really, I, I believe that there's something out there. I just don't have any kind of way to articulate it. Um, and also I feel like, uh, really, I just got to settle on being a good person and different faiths mm-hmm. have different good ideas on what that means. And so I kind of pick and choose from a lot of different philosophies and belief systems and go, okay, I think in aggregate, this is kind of what contextualizes what I consider to be a good person. Um, just trying to be a good boy. Exactly. Trying to be a good dog. And so, yeah, there's that. <laughs> and, and, it, and it's funny Welcome because um, it was something that it was like a year after the game had been done before I looked that went, oh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> you know? I didn't even see myself in there until like long after it was done. Yeah. Um, but the same thing is like it's all they, they, you know, the dogs have this mixed up perspective of what humanity really was. And they kind of jam yeah. all together in a way that makes sense for them. It's like, yeah, that's kind of how my faith evolved. Yeah. So I sense that in like. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Chris. Well, I'm curious, like, it's very clear. I mean, just the short time we've been talking to you, like, you definitely have a an interest and a fascination or thoughtfulness about, like, religions and faiths and those kind of things. And I'm always curious, like, where that begins or, like, how that starts. And I'm sure it's not like, oh, there was this one aha moment. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, do you kind of attribute that to your mom, like, kind of encouraging you to hey, find what works for you? Or was there like other things that happened in your upbringing? Or what do you think kind of, I don't know, grew that? So um, this is an awkward question, but not for the obvious reasons, uh, because I want to have a really cool, this is the moment where it all happened. It makes sense to me. And, <laughs> and it sounds really exciting and inspiring, but reality is Transformers comics. Oh, great. Uh, because <laughs> No, I think that'll probably resonate better with our audience than anything okay, else because it's nerdy. Yeah. Um, because during the uh, Marvel comics, work, I was a, I'm a huge Transformers uh, fan. Like I have all the new comics. I, I have a couple of the toys. I love the Transformers media specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and during the later part of the Marvel run, uh, uh, the writer, uh, Simon Furman, uh, introduced the concept of Primus, which was the god of Transformers. 
Uh, and at the time, it just was like a thunderbolt to me because I'm like, even machines can theoretically worship somebody. Hmm. Um, and of course, in true cartoon style, he turns out to be evil and there's a whole thing and it's, it's not good. Um, he's the rival of Unicron, Unicron is the devil and Primus is God. And it, it, it doesn't go well, um, <laughs> but the concept still kind of stuck with me. And, and from then I realized that uh, me, popular culture is really the mythology for modern day. Um, you know, because ancient Greeks, they, they told stories about the gods and that's how they learned parables. And that's how they, you know, mm -hmm. learned what's culturally accepted of them is through these stories of, of the gods. Mm -hmm. Um, the Bible works in a very similar fashion, you know, all the different stories in the Bible give us certain perspectives on what we believe should be good or bad. Um, mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, superheroes and comic books and video games and whatnot are, can do something similar. Um, and, uh, I hadn't really pinged on faith being the key piece. It's more the larger component of we we the stories we tell each other tells us who we are. Um, and in modern day, that is done through all the different media. Um, but when I started working on Vampire the Masquerade, I had to start learning about Judeo-Christian myths specifically because like I'm going to start name dropping people. I should know what the heck they who they are and what the context <laughs> yeah. is. Mm -hmm. And the stuff I vaguely remember from Vacation Bible School is not going to cut it. Um, <laughs> so I actually picked up, um, especially eighties vacation. Right, no, yeah, no, it was, it was, whew, no, not good. Yuck. Uh, <laughs> Jesus is a skater guy. I think that happened. Yeah. That's, that's sort of accurate. <laughs> um, oh, but, yeah. uh, 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 my friends, uh, who's a person of faith, uh, she recommended to me the Oxford Bible, um, mm -hmm. which I still have a copy of because, um, while I didn't find, uh, faith in there, for myself, um, reading it, it I, I, I said, okay, I could see why people find this interesting, why they find this inspirational. Um, and just learning a lot about, I had heard some of the stories, but understanding the context now of the stories from a historical perspective and from an yeah. anthropological perspective. And I was like, oh, I could see why this story stuck around. I could see why people found, you know, a, a value. In particular, um, the story of Job kept coming up in my research a lot. And it was a good metaphor for a lot of stuff I was playing with in, in, in a horror game is the kind of the test of faith is a, is a pretty strong component. And so mm -hmm. I actually kept kind of referencing that story a little bit. Certain characters would reference that story because it, it, it's a good a shortcut to explain, okay, well, in a universe that we're not entirely sure if faith truly exists, this character it still has faith in spite of that. That I could see people really grab him, and they did. A lot of players had told me, "Oh, that was really cool to reference that because I saw myself in that." Um, mm. But I, I, I personally try to take a step back from specific faiths as much as possible because I think that if done well, people can also see chance for them, like you know, uh, uh, as coming out in their sexuality. Um, uh, people who you know uh, come around to faith as a result of it. like uh, one person. Uh, at a convention came up to me and said that uh, by reading up on Vampire the Masquerade, uh, they actually embraced uh, their, their Jewish faith, which they had resented from their family. From family. It's like, mm -hmm. they, they really put Jeez. it on them. Interesting. And they're like, okay. That's not the story you hear in Fox News. Right, yeah. But it's like, oh, hey, you know, hey, this thing about horrible, <laughs> blessing vampires made me realize that there's a need for some kind of faith in the world. And so they kind mm -hmm. of re-examined their Jewish faith and became you know, a very strong proponent of it. Um. So I think horror, a lot of times by if – if you give that gray area, um, people can start making decisions for themselves because right. they see not only potentially themselves, a darker version of themselves in the stories, but also they see the world around them and be concerned about it. 
so, I mean, yeah. it was that relationship that resonated with me. It was that having that, that dialogue as a, a game designer, because with fiction, you can do that. With movies and TV, you can do that. But with games, you're putting yourself into it. Whether it's a video game mm-hmm. on the couch or a tabletop role-playing game or even a board game, you're actively taking yeah. an action based on the material presented to you. Um, mm-hmm. So you start to become emotionally invested in that and it allows you to emotionally explore topics in a different way than just consuming media. Yeah. And it seems like to me, like you mentioned earlier, you have this desire to be, you know, to be a good mm-hmm. dog. Um, <laughs> and uh, it seems like to the way you design games, there's like a um, I don't know if it's like a moral backbone, if that's the right term, but at least like a, a res- you feel responsible to create games that make people think about the world yes. in, in a way that's like responsible mm-hmm. and, and, and mindful of, of our neighbors. Um, but that doesn't come from like a necessarily like a faith background no. for you. It's like what, what drives you to, to do that, to, to create things that have kind of a, a morality or at least a, a sense of, of responsibility for, for how we interact with our neighbors, that kind of thing. Uh, honestly, it's um, a, a combination of my mom and my friends. Um, uh, my mom, uh, she grew up uh, on a U.S. Air Force base in England, uh, so she had dual citizenship, so she had both American and British uh, upbringing, yeah. uh, particularly English mm-hmm. upbringing. Um, and so that kind of balance of the the English dichotomy of need to make sure you don't make waves and make sure everyone is comfortable and happy, but then that kind of American component of but if you go too far, I will do something about it. Um, so I kind of grew up with that mix. It's like I grew up on this heady, still like you know Doctor Who and Star Trek, uh, you know, where it's like we can talk about things until we can't anymore, and then I have to use photon torpedoes. <laughs> you know, so I, I mean, right. uh, and then seeing my friends, uh, uh, and them, you know, I, I have a lot of friends in different subcultures, and so seeing them marginalized or uh, attacked, even, um, you know, I, I mean, I grew up again in the eighties, early nineties. Um, I was heavily involved in the punk subculture uh, when I was a teenager and a young kid, uh, skater punk particularly. Um, but a lot of people talk about now, oh, white supremacists just popped up in two thousand seventeen. Like, no, they've been around for a long time. And I got mm-hmm. into some fights with them. And I lost a lot of fights with them, to be fair. I was not a good fighter. Um, I did not become a writer because of my amazing physical skills, let me tell you. Yeah. Uh, but um, I felt a need to stand up. It's like, you know, you, right. you what you're saying and what you're doing is objectively wrong. Uh, uh, and I disagree with you. And I will not allow my friends to get hurt by people like you, whether it's by your rhetoric or by direct action. Um so uh, really a lot more of it for me, I think, came from the punk subculture of the, you know, uh, I also uh, had friends who were, um, I don't know if you're familiar with straight edge punk culture. Yeah. Um, but they're uh, basically um, no drugs, no sex, you know, they, they, they're they the antithesis to a lot of the, the hedonistic punk subcultures. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Interesting. I know yeah, yeah. No, um, if you see, if you see uh, people with uh, X's on the backs of their hands, that's usually an indication of straight edge. Yeah. Um, and it's not it's not from like a like a Christian or religious thing either. No, although there is actually a straight edge spinoff that does specifically uh, uh, they are Christians. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, and I'm Tooth and nail records. blanking on the name of them right now. Um, but uh, they have a, a they, they have the, the cross with the letters around it. Anyway, um, uh, punk subculture is another thing I, I, I read a lot about. Um, but my friends at the time. 
you know, it's very much the, I have a strong belief that I don't want to have poisons in my body. I have a strong belief mm-hmm. that, you know, people of color should be allowed to exist. You know, these kinds of people I want to hang out with. Um, and so it's like, yeah, I want to protect them. And then I realized after a period of time of that being a part of my makeup, that uh, uh the act of having faith was also something that a lot of people were weirdly intolerant of. Um, like you say, there's been a lot of damage done. And so I can understand why specific people having specific concerns about specific sects or specific acts may be problematic. Um, but at the same time, there are people who are like, uh, I, I had atheists in, in my soldier. They're like, going, well, the fact that you believe someone is stupid and wrong. And it's like, that might work for you. But, you know, <laughs> how is it that you could be so tolerant of all these other options, but then this is where you draw the line. Right. Um, yeah. right. And it's like, and reality is like, like all things, there's, there's nuance and there, there, there's complexity here. It's not, nothing is that simple. Um, but I felt very strongly. It's like, if you're not hurting anyone and if your beliefs don't hurt anyone, if your actions don't hurt anyone, you should be able to do what you need to do. Uh, so again, a lot comes that kind of like that kind of combination of weird punk subculture and, and that kind of, just Midwest upbringing of just be a nice person. Don't, don't be a jerk. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Well, I appreciate uh, you coming on the podcast. This has been great. I have one last kind of question for you because I think this is relevant to a lot of our listeners. Um, one of the things that we try to do with love thy nerd is educate mm-hmm. people about the value of things in nerd culture. So like recently we did, we've been doing this series of articles on the site called like why, um, why, why, uh, board games matter and why, um, oh, what was the other one? Um, well, we did why, why. Okay. yeah, why comics yeah. matter, why Dungeons and Dragons matter. I mean, tabletop yeah, so role playing in general, but yeah. yeah. So I'd be curious to hear like, how would you answer that question? Why do tabletop role playing games matter? Why should people give them a shot as someone who makes those types of games? Like what, what value do those bring to the lives of people? With um, uh, I think there's two big components. Uh, uh, the one, I think the one that's probably arguably more important uh, is that it is very good escapism. Um, it allows you to just put yourself into a, a, a fantasy or a fictional environments um, and just have a good time with friends uh, in, in generally in a, a short environment, safe space, and you can just have fun. Um, and I think the value of escapism as an end goal is something we as society are largely walking away from. And I find that sad. It, it's yeah. that, you know, you can just have fun with a thing and that there doesn't have to be a deeper meaning for it. Um, the mm-hmm. fact that you had a good time is in and of itself a, is, is a perfectly valuable reward. But that being said, um, I do think that tabletop role-playing games allow you to put yourself into somebody else's shoes in a way that very few other art mediums allow. Mm. Um, I have, it allowed me to explore elements of myself and of other people around me and understand them. Um, And sometimes that's, that's scary and frightening. I'll be honest. Um, uh, But if you have a group of people around you that uh, you trust and respect and are willing to listen to you. And as long as you're having, when have open conversation about when your personal boundaries are getting pushed too hard, I think it allows you to actually stamp the table, go into that's that liminal space, if you will, and, and actually try to be somebody else for a while, knowing that you can set it down and walk away. Mm-hmm. Uh, allows yeah. you to have empathy for others in a way that no other media can really get close to yet. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And I think Love also it. maybe explore yourself too. Oh, yeah. Like explore your your own 
you know, worldview or your own perceptions of, of, of things um, in, a, in a way that I think a lot of other games don't give us really that option to do that. Or a lot of, I shouldn't say games, a lot of other, um, you know, media that we consume right. doesn't. doesn't. And uh, actually, um, uh, I do want to quickly name drop. There's a fantastic group called the Bodana Group, B-O-D-H-A-N-A. Um, and they are licensed okay. therapists who are exploring using tabletop role-playing games for therapeutic use. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. um, yeah, yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah. Check it out. yeah, they just we just had um, we just had the game to grow guys on. Do you know? No, you know not, I've heard of them. Um, Adam Johns and Adam uh, Evis. That sounds right. Yeah, we just call them the Adams. Um, yeah, the yeah they they just launched a Kickstarter uh, <sighs> for um, kind of that does some of that. Nice. Well, well it's I called yeah, it's called Critical Core and. For the Kickstarter, it's very specifically tailored towards um, helping people on the autism spectrum nice. and helping develop like social skills and all those different kinds of things because they've been doing that stuff. They're based in Seattle okay. um, and they've been using D&D and different uh, role playing systems to do that kind of stuff for years. So that's fantastic. I think the Kickstarter is probably still going. Yeah, I'll check that out. And, and I think core. that stuff is great. Like I, I um, uh, one uh, woman came to me on, on Facebook and she mentioned that her autistic son has been using Pugmire to help him out um, yep. because uh, uh, he's, he really loves the book. And so when he needs to go out and do something that's uncomfortable for him, he puts on his, he, his mental kind of good dog face. He's like, okay, I need to go pretend to be my dog now um, <laughs> yeah. to be a good dog in this space. And it really helps him with social cues and in uncomfortable situations. Yeah. And that I, I, I cried. I mean, I was just like, Oh my God, that is so right. wonderful to realize that something I made was that much of an impact. That's on someone's it, life. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. They told a, they told a really cool story. Um, they were the two Adams. Uh, they were in a session and one of them was, uh, DMing and the other one I think was either playing or just kind of facilitating or whatever. But, um, one of the kids they were playing with, uh, has autism mm-hmm. and he wanted to do something, uh, as his, you know, his character wanted to do something and he said, Hey, you know, I want to do this. And the DM was like, yeah, sorry, it didn't work. And you could see in this kid, like the pressure was rising. Mm-hmm. Like he was just starting to, escalate to a point where it was like gonna just boil over and the other adam that was kind of facilitating like he leaned over to him he's like yeah that's like that's really frustrating for your character isn't it like what would your what's your character doing Mm -hmm. or how does your character respond to that and they said immediately they saw like the temperature just drop Mm -hmm. and like the red go out of his face because he was able to kind of disassociate and get some distance and think about it more in terms of his character and how his character respond and be able to kind of, you know, safely explore what those responses would be and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, and that's just killer. Yeah. Like, especially for, for people that, you know, have some hindrances or whatever in dealing with those kinds of things. I mean, let's be honest, all of us do. Sure, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Like that's just, yeah. man, that's it. That's wonderful. Yeah. And, and that's why, that's why I think it's, you're right. If you ask me, what's the value of tabletop role playing games is that things like that can happen. Right. And that these possibilities and, – and it's so low-tech. It's just a conversation and some dice and paper, yep. really, at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's cool, man. Well, what uh, where can people find you online? Um, so uh, people can find me on Twitter at uh, Eddie Fate, E-D-D-Y-F-A-T-E. Uh, that's also the name of my website. 
Um, if they want to check me on Facebook, I'm Eddie Webb Writer. Uh, and then if you want to check out my professional stuff, um, that you can go to any social media site as Pugsteady, P-U-G-S-T-E-A-D-Y. And for Pugmire specifically, uh, I have all my Pugmire stuff at realmsofpugmire.com. And that's cool. P-U-G-M-I-R-E. Yes, as in a dog stuck in a swamp. Yep. <laughs> great, great, cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm Dixon 82 Chris is not on Twitter, but he is on Facebook. Look him up, Chris Gwaltney. Uh, follow Love Thy Nerd on all the social medias. Just search for Love Thy Nerd. When you search for us on Facebook, you're going to like Love Thy Nerd and then also ask to join our Facebook community. If you want to hang out online, get to know some other nerds who are into nerdy stuff, uh, go to our Love Thy Nerd community on Facebook and hang out and, and introduce yourself. Um, I think that's about it. We have a whole other podcast network, or we're part of a whole podcast network with two other podcasts, so be sure to go check those out, rate and review them. Uh, there's the Free Play Podcast, which gets into all areas of nerd culture and is super entertaining to listen to, and then we also have uh, the Pull List, which is a comic book podcast. Um, so go check those out. Would you please, please, please consider rating and reviewing Games of Gaming on iTunes? Uh, it would mean a great deal to us. It's going to take two minutes out of your day, and it's a very simple way you can give back the Love Thy Nerd yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, that's it for us here. Thanks again, Eddie. This was awesome. Thank you. Thanks, man.